This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a uh, treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The uh, basket's coming all around. We are collecting for the uh, Haiti Lutheran Mission Society, uh, an organization we've long supported here at Good Shepherd. Uh, and uh, Pastor Poppy has traveled to Haiti, I think, did he say six times, seven times? Um, and so uh, if you have any questions about it, he's happy to share uh, about the situation in Haiti, uh, where we are, we do have a Lutheran seminary, and uh, we might even be able to get somebody here from there uh, this month to talk to us about that. So we're working on that. We are in a new month, October instead of September, and for that reason we have a new hymn of the month. Uh, And so today let's just sing uh, verse 2 of our hymn of the month, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll sing verse 3 next week as well, but uh, we'll sing this hymn quite a bit this month. I'll try and pick a good note here. Yea, Lord, t'was thy rich bounty gave My body, soul, and all I have In this poor life of labor Lord, grant that I in every place May glorify thy lavish grace And help and serve my neighbor Let no false doctrine me beguile And Satan not my soul defile Give strength and patience unto me To bear my cross and follow thee Lord Jesus Christ, my God and Lord, my God and Lord, in death thy comfort still afford. One of the perks of being the, uh, the old pastor is getting to pick the hymns of the month now. <laughs> and this one's one of my favorite ones. And it is one that is a part of the commendation of the dying. And so when, when you are in the hospital and your death is near, um, the pastor can come and sing, especially verse 3 of this hymn for you, uh, as you are um, looking forward to meeting God face to face. And so that's uh, Lord Thee I Love With All My Heart, the October hymn. All right, there are new sheets out, uh, and so hopefully you got one. We printed uh, 75 of them, uh, and so if you need one, I see there's a few with no people at a table. Feel free to steal one 
uh, or borrow it, however you want to justify it. <laughs> but uh, they are out there. We are going to start in these new sheets, and I have the end of the old sheets at the beginning of it. So we are talking about day six of creation. Uh, land, animals, and people. We talked last time about the creation of man in general, uh, how God said um, uh, he formed them. Well, we're going to read about that next time. He formed them, and then he said, um, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1, 27. We talked about how important those words are for us to memorize in our modern world. And those words, male and female, he created them, are the words that we go back to. That's our argument. God says, male and female, he created them. That's the way that it is. And that's what we, I mean, we trumpet it over and over and over again. That's our answer to all those things going on in the world. Well, this is what God says. So we talked about that last time. Uh, we talked about how God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and to multiply and how that is a blessing, to have a family, to have children. God does that and it is good. And I wanted to point out this as well. We didn't get to this much uh, part as much as we ought to have, but God gave them particular things to eat, the plants of the field, okay? It, he does not give mankind the ability to eat meat, that's not even the right word, the freedom to eat meat until after Noah's flood. Before that time, man is given the plants of the field to eat, the fruits from the trees to eat. And the reason for this is, is because there is no such thing as death. There is no such thing as death. Uh, in order to eat that tasty bacon, what has to happen to the poor little pig? It has to die. Okay, and that is not the way that God designed the world, and that's not how it was in the beginning or for the first several thousand years until the flood. Okay? All right. So, at the end of this, and this is in chapter 1, verse 31, God looks at everything that he has made and behold, it was very good. And we have this time this word very added. All the other times God looked at what he had made and said it was good, he just said it was good. And now that he looks at the whole of all that he has made, he declares about what he has made that it is very good. Okay? Now, um, what does this mean? Right? We have to ask that question. It means that there were no bad things at the end of creation. It means there was no death. 
It means there was no taxes. <laughs> okay, no, no laughing there. You guys like taxes more than me. <laughs> okay, there's, there's none of these sorts of things out there that are bad. Everything that exists is good. And everything that exists, where did it come from? From God. And this means, does God create anything bad? No, he does not. God does not create anything bad. This is very important in all theology. God is not the author of evil. He is not the one who makes wickedness or sin or badness. Okay? Well, pastor, didn't God make Satan? Yes. But how was Satan in the beginning? Very good. Okay, and then, for example, Isaiah 14, I think 14, off the top of my head, talks about the fall of Satan. How far you have fallen, O bright morning star. You who desired to put yourself above God. That's Satan's sin. That's what brings evil into the world going against God's word and God's gifts, including then the creation. That's sin and evil. Okay? And it's not created by God. Okay, I see a hand. Yes, and we'll talk more about this when we get to chapter 3. In the beginning, Adam and Eve had the freedom to choose to be good by hearing God's word and obeying it, or uh, to not. And, and they, they made a bad choice, something we're all familiar with. <laughs> okay, yeah, Tim. I'll just mention this because that's where I am I'm listening to the podcast, but uh, if you go back a couple of years on the, um, oh, what's it called? You, you and Pastor and then Vicar Bigro, um, we're talking about... Must, must be proclaiming the one. No, it wasn't proclaiming the one. It was uh, mm-hmm. equipping the saints. Equipping the saints. Uh, uh, where you talk about God's gift of marriage and sexuality. Yes. You guys go into a lot more detail there. So. Yes, and, and still not quite enough. So, uh, But equipping the saints, we talk about those sexual if- issues. Uh, we have a whole... I don't know if it's 15 or 20 hours on sexual ethics that are okay. Yeah. So um, those always are in need of refreshing in our modern society. Okay. Now, it is very good, um, but we're going to see there is that level of freedom there, and things are going to fall apart fairly quickly because of our action as people. All right, and that's going to bring us then to chapter 2. Now, chapter 2 is not a different account of creation, but rather it's like in chapter 1, we got a very wide view of the creation of the world, uh, including creation of everything, brought about out of nothing by the power of God's word. God creates in chapter 1, 
And now in chapter 2, it's like we're going to take a magnifying glass and we're going to look specifically at the creation of mankind. It's not two separate accounts that are contradicting each other. Rather, that's the way it works. We got the wide view, and now we're zooming in to get a close-up of this particular event, the creation of man. And that's important for us to, to talk about. Now, the chapter breaks in the scriptures are not original to the text. They're just handy guides for us to find places. And for that reason, the beginning of chapter 2 really better fits at the end of chapter 1. And it goes really well with Vicar's sermon today, and so we're going to talk a little bit about it. So I'm going to read it out loud, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right. So God is finished making things after he finishes making mankind. He's done. The creation is over. And that all happens in six days. Day one, two, three, four, five, six, and then God is done. And then, on the seventh day, God rests. Now, first off, practically speaking, the entire world knows this, even if they won't admit it. And how do we know that? How many days are in your week? Seven. Why? Because that's how long it took for God to make the world and to rest. And the entire world follows this calendar. I know, there might be a random place or a random tribe of people that follow a slightly different one. I'm speaking in generalities. But in China, how many days a week do they have? Seven. In Russia, how many days a week do they have? Seven. In Africa, you know, we can go to all the different places. Seven days a week, that is a confession that God created the world in seven days. Okay? Now, on the seventh day, God rests. We have to ask the question, why does God rest? Did he get real tired? Was he all pooped out after making all the rest of the world? Did he need to take a nap? I'm alarmed that you're not answering right away. No, (laughs) We know God is who? All-powerful, omnipotent. Does he need to sleep? No. Not in terms of his godness. Right? He doesn't need to rest. So why in the world would God rest? To create the Sabbath. To create the Sabbath and to teach us that we, as created beings, do need rest. And rest is good. It's a part of God's creation. What is rest? This is Vicar's sermon for today. Rest, on one hand, is sitting down and taking a nap, or sleeping, or, you know, um, 
laying on the couch with your feet up and your children fanning you while they feed grapes to you. No, okay, that doesn't happen at my house. <laughs> okay, in one sense that is rest, rest for your body, but that's not God's only concern, rest for your body. God is also concerned about rest for your soul. And where's the rest for your soul come from? It comes from God giving His gifts to you. Specifically, His Word and His sacrament, as well as all the other things. The reason you have the bed and the fan and the grapes for the kids to feed you is because God made them. And so, these two things together, rest for your body and rest for your soul, through God's Word and gifts, are what the Sabbath is for. And it is a blessing. God blessed the seventh day. He sets it apart so that it's holy, so that you, at some time and some way during that rest, do what? Okay, refresh, sure. Yeah, receive God's good gifts. This is how God created the whole world. He set apart this portion of it for you to be in His presence. Okay? I'll, I'll attack myself here. Can you be in His presence in the fishing boat on a Sunday morning? Is God everywhere? Yes. Is He on the lake? Yes. Is He giving you His Word and His sacraments on the lake in the fishing boat? No. No. That's why it's so important to regularly go to church. And God built that into the creation in the very beginning. Okay? And as we get into chapter 2, we'll see even more details about how God actually set up the first church immediately after He created the first man. Okay, that's where we're going. So keep this idea of the Sabbath day in your mind because the first day after mankind is created is the first Sabbath where that's their job, is to hear God's Word. And we have a pretty good idea that that's what they did too, and I'll show, point that out when we get there. Okay, so I want to summarize creation now. Creation, the doctrine of creation, is God gives... God gave the heavens and the earth and the light and the sun and the moon and the planets and the plants and the creatures and time and rest. God gives and gives and gives and gives and gives in His creation. And this is what we confess in the small catechism, right? I believe that God has made me and all creatures. He has given me my body and soul, my eyes, my ears, my reason and all my senses, my clothing, my shoes, my food, my drink, my house, my home, my wife, my land, my children, all that I have. He richly and daily provides me, gives me all that I need to support this body and life. That's God's creation. Okay? And we see that in Genesis 1. We see it still in our world today. God gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. All right. Any questions on creation? All right. 
I'm going to read then chapter 2, the rest of it. I've got this handy picture here. Anybody know where this is from? The ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, right? And so you have God and then the depiction of angels over here. And then over here you have man, newly awakened by God. It's really not quite the best depiction of what we're going to hear, but it is a really, really good painting. (laughs) On a ceiling, no less, painted section by section into wet plaster. Um, And there's a movie about that, isn't there? The agony and the ecstasy, is that what it is? The the pain, I don't remember. But uh, Charlton Heston is in it, is that right? Okay. So it's, it's a beautiful painting of this moment, but as you'll see as we read, it's not quite accurate in its depiction. All right, Genesis 2, verses 4 through 25. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature." And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, for there he had put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground that the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers, The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he slept he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now that is all really one unit, which is why we're taking the whole thing all together. We're going to look at it section by section. You see how it's not quite an accurate painting here, uh, even as, as it is beautiful. But we hear there about the creation first of the man, and then secondly of the woman, and then the unity of man and wife in God's gift of marriage. And there's even more in there in terms of, we're going to talk about it, government. Government, the two governments that existed before the fall into sin are both instituted in this chapter. And we'll talk about that as we get there as well. Now first, a few things to note. The Lord God has not yet caused it to rain. The earth instead is watered by a mist, okay? And there's still one place in the world where this is the case. Um, the, the country of Namibia down in Africa, um, they have these beautiful orange deserts right on the coast of the sea. And it never rains there, but every day clouds come up off the sea and water the ground before the clouds are uh, beaten back by the heat of the sun. That's the kind of thing that it describes taking place over the entire face of the earth. And this is important because we're going to see later on the very first time it rained was when? The flood. And how did that rain go? Yeah, uh, all but eight people were killed. That's why after the flood... When it rains, God makes there be a rainbow. So that, can you imagine if it only rained one time and almost everybody died, the first drop you felt, what would you do? Be running for a rowboat, okay? The first time it records it raining is at the flood. Before that time, the earth is watered by a mist. And then you have repeated there again, that man is given every fruit and vegetable to eat, but not meat, because there is no death. There is no death. All right, now the creation of man and woman. Man is formed from the dust of the earth. Okay, the dust of the earth, which is also the same place this mist is arising that we just spoke about that's watering the earth. God, is formed, God forms the man from the dust of the earth. It's like he took the mud and he pushed it together and made the form of a man. But it's just a body. And really it's not even a dead body in one sense because it hasn't been alive ever. God puts it together and he's going to breathe life into it. Now, the man being made from the dust of the earth is why his name is Adam. In the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, 90% of the time, the person's name is going to tell you something about them that's important. This man is made from the earth, and so he is given the name 
land or earth or dirt. When I was a kid in high school and college, Pastor Papa used to call me Dirt Boy because my name is Adam. That's what the name Adam means. And so God makes the man from the earth, forms the body and all the parts therein, the mechanisms, the little intricacies within the cell that are impossible to evolve, like the mitochondria and the little um, molecular pumps and all that stuff that God put into your body, he formed out of the dust of the ground. And you know that too, because when you die, what happens to your flesh? Yeah, it goes back into the ground. Even your bones, they take a little longer. Even your bones eventually break down and go back into the earth. Okay, and so God is putting together this first man in that way. All right, questions so far? Now, this is really, really important to make that body that we were just talking about into a living being, God does something more. He breathes the breath of life into the man. And it's at the breath of life from God that the man becomes a living being. Okay? It's at the breath of life God breathed that the man becomes a living being. And we see this throughout the scriptures, okay? So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 20. We read these words the week after Easter every single year. And I want you to think about what's going on in terms of how God made Adam alive. All right, so this is the account of the resurrection. And Jesus, on the first day of the week, the doors were locked, the disciples were afraid. Jesus comes and stands among them and says, Peace be with you. And then verse 22, When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus doing there to the disciples? He's he's bringing them to life. But wait, aren't they already alive? They're afraid. What's he bringing to life in them? He's making them fully alive because he's breathing the Holy Spirit into them that they might believe. Okay? And it's interesting here because he isn't just like... He's speaking words with this breath. And wherever God's Word is preached and taught in the truth and purity according to God's Word, the Holy Spirit is attached and is doing this very thing to you. When the pastor says, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's God's word. It's being breathed out upon you, and the Holy Spirit is doing exactly what that says 
to you in that action. Okay? Um, or when the pastor says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are the words of God from Matthew 28, and they are being applied to you, and as they're breathed out, the Holy Spirit in, those, in the waters of baptism is doing exactly what God promises. You are made alive by God's Word. And we see that already here. And this is important. The Holy Spirit's not just floating around and you have to go catch him with a butterfly net or anything like that. That's not the way he works. He always, 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 every time we see him in the scriptures, is attached to God's word. The book of Acts is all about that. We did that on Thursdays here not long ago. It's God's word that the Holy Spirit works in. And baptism is not just plain water. It is the word of God in the water. And the Lord's Supper is not just bread and wine. It's God's word in, with, and under the bread and wine, bringing Christ's body and blood to you. The word, the word, the word is how um, somebody would say it, right? (laughs) All right, Leonard. Did Adam receive the Holy Spirit back in Genesis? I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb. It doesn't tell us exactly, but I'm going to say yes, because he has the very breath of life breathed into him. And when we fall into sin, that life is the consequence that is taken away from us. And how do we get it back? Through the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, because I believe Adam is created in faith. He knows who God is when he is made. Yeah, Tim. In view of the fact that the word breath and the word spirit are the same word. The breath. Same word in the original languages, does God have any other spirit than the Holy Spirit? Right. Okay. So we have... Oh, go ahead. Well, life is in the breath. The, the comment that uh, Dr. Edwards said is that the life and the breath go together. And that's what we're going to read in the rest of these passages. So you're, you're stealing my thunder. No. <laughs> that's all right. That's good. <laughs> and, and you know that from being a doctor, right? And you, you know that from... All the westerns, right? How do you know that the guy is dead? You check to see if he's breathing, right? And you, if there's mist on the mirror, then you can shoot him again. No, that's different westerns. Okay? It's the breath in the scriptures that governs life. And we don't really, we kind of think of it differently in our modern world today because we think of the heart beating, right? That's what we check for. But in the scriptures, it's always. The breath. We see that, like, I don't have this on the list, but in the book of Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones, and the bones come together, and then sinew, and then flesh, but they're not alive until what? Prophesy to the breath. And when the breath of God blows on them, then they are alive. Or, um, what all is on my list? We don't have this one on there either. The raising of Lazarus. Right? Um, 
Jesus speaks a word into the tomb. Lazarus come out with his breath, and at that, Lazarus obeys. Um, We see breath attached to life in Genesis 25 and Genesis 35, okay? And this is when Abraham and Isaac die. And it tells us how we know that they are dead. Genesis 25, verse 8, okay? One more page. 25, verse 8, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Okay, and we see the same thing in Genesis 35 with Isaac. And that's in verse 29. It says, Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. The end of life is indicated by the cessation of breathing. And that's because in the scriptures, all life comes from the breath of God. And this is then too, um, I hope you see this connection. This is why we stand against things that take away the breath of life. God gave the first breath to Adam, and all of our breath comes as a result of that gift. And so it's not right to prevent someone from breathing by euthanasia or abortion or murder or suicide. Any of these things that attack this gift of God go against God's good gifts in the creation. Does that make sense? So they are sinful and wrong. So is it okay to put a dog down? Is it okay to put a dog down is the question. And the answer is, after the flood, (laughs) yes. Because there's not that special creation that we see taking place with Adam taking place in a dog. And God has given them under our authority. And so, you know, I would use the example of tasty bacon earlier, right? Tasty bacon. How do you get the bacon? Kill the pig. Okay, and that's for us to eat and be sustained. Okay, I know there's more work that needs to be done than just killing the pig. Okay, <laughs> aren't pigs wonderful? You you feed a pig slop that's not fit for human consumption, and it turns it into bacon. I think there should be a lot more pigs around. <laughs> okay, yes. We are. Yes. And so there, there is this intimate relationship between God and man already in that creation. Yes. And uh, uh, I just. And that, okay, well, then moving forward, when you get to Paul, that 
Sure, sure. We're going to talk about that when we get to the fall. Yeah, I, I'm trying to do it in an orderly fashion and not the whole ball of wax all at once. So we're going through it step by step by step. Yeah. Yeah, that's because in both Hebrew and in Greek, they don't have different words for spirit or life or ghost or wind. Okay, so in Hebrew, you have this word ruach, which means spirit, wind, ghost, all these things, one word. In Greek, you have the word pneumatos, which means spirit, wind, ghost, all those things in one place. And so when we have more than one word in English, when they are using different words, they are interpreting the scriptures for you which sometimes is helpful and sometimes is not. For example, at John chapter 3, Jesus says in our translations, the wind blows where it wishes. And it's like, okay, I go outside on a Nebraska day and it could be blowing from the west, it could be blowing from the north. I have no control over it. But the word also can be translated as spirit. The spirit goes and does what he wishes, which in my mind makes a lot more sense, especially in terms of some of the parables of Christ and things like that. So... It's just a translation thing. The King James Version is not a bad translation. It's, it's not easily understood by our modern minds. Ruach, yeah. But that does lead into uh, Matthew chapter 15, our next passage, verse 37, where we have that idea... Um, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And we have then the breath of Jesus coming to an end, indicating what? His death. And then we also have um, in the other Gospels, they translate it, um, Jesus gave up his spirit. Again, those words are related. Now the spirit one makes you wonder... Okay, what does he mean when it says he gave up the Spirit? (laughs) I think we can see both of those things in there, which is why they had one word, but English is not a very good language, but it'll do. So, okay. All right, and then uh, I'm trying to get through these here. Acts 5.5. Acts 5.5. Has anybody got that open already? All right. This is Ananias and Sapphira who have sinned against God and are accused of their sin and refuse to repent. And as a result of their refusal to repent, they give up their spirit. They breathe their last. They die. Breathing and life are connected throughout all of the scriptures. Breathing and life Go together. All right. So, as God breathes the breath of life into the man, he becomes a living being. He becomes alive. Okay? And that is what a living being is. A body and a soul connected together as one. One being united 
the body and the soul together. And that's what's terrible about death, is that it rips those two things apart. But that's what's so good then about the resurrection. Jesus, when he returns, for all of those who have faith in him, will put body and soul back together and they will live with him in his kingdom forever. Okay? All right, Nancy. Say the last part again, really loud. Yes. Yes. Because we're going to see God now unite man and woman in a little bit and become one flesh. And the same way that divorce rips those two apart, death rips body and soul apart, God unites these things together and our sin tears them apart. Yes. All right. I'm going to go before I turn into Pastor Poppy and take us till 11 o'clock. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.